Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, interview time is here. That's right, we're talking to Jeremy Caston about his new movie, The Dead Ones, on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from a very smoky place in Southern California. This is Kill by Kill, and a little bit different than our usual show. We're not talking about a uh, an ancient release from the 1970s, 80s, or, oh my God, even the 90s. Ugh, how gross. Uh, we're talking about a much more recent film with a filmmaker that I know very well, and you know him as well. He's a returning champion here to Kill by Kill. He's an editor and director whose latest, The Dead Ones, will be released by Kino Lorber on Blu-ray on September 29th. He's the one, the only, Jeremy Caston. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Oh, I'm spectacular. Thanks, Patrick. I'm really happy to be on the show. I'm very happy to have you back. Last time you were here, we forced you to discuss at length a Friday the 13th movie. Well, a, sure, we because we had the Crispin Glover connection. Yes, of course. And, you know, I, I, the, I just had to have Glover insight. I needed to know in any way, shape, or form, if, if someone could penetrate what that Glover thing is, it, it, well, you would know more than most because you had worked with him. And then I, we got some nice, fun stories out of that. It, I bet everybody who works with Christian Glover has nice, fun <laughs> stories. I, I have a feeling that the guy is, is, uh, is, is a dynamo on the set on everything he's, he's ever touched. <laughs> I believe that to be true. Um, but... Here's the thing that um, when we had talked about you having this movie come out and talking about it, I there was the thing that I always say about you, you know, ran to the front of my mind, which is every conversation I've ever had with you, Jeremy, over the several years, well, somewhere in the early 2000s. I'm going to say decades now. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I have been around you and known you and sat around and talked. Every time we have a conversation, you say one thing that blows my mind about your life. You just happen to have these stories that come out of left field for me. Like I obviously am more of a blank slate than the rest of our crew because I married an Emerson alum and you were an Emerson alum. Sure. And that you all knew much more about one another than I did. I was an outsider to it all. But then I would hear these tidbits and I would go, wait, wait, wait what did you just say? How, how is this possible? How am I just finding this out? And it was like every single time. So I definitely want to have the opportunity to sit down for you, even if it was just a personal record for me, of what is going on in your life. I'm so excited to share all of it. <laughs> So let's hearken back. You are a human being, correct? I am a person. I am a, it, a, a, a human human entity. Born of two human parents. That's right. Flesh and what, blood. Uh, what, what, uh, what area of the country did that happen in? I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland in the 70s at a time where the kids I knew were the some of them anyway, were the kids of the the people who were in John Waters' early films. Right. So, you know, John Waters made movies starting in the late 60s. And so the the weirdo, um, you know, kids of the weirdo hippies 
that I grew up with, you know, uh-huh. some of them were their their parents were famous to me, but I only found out later in life. <laughs> so it was in the air. Yes. There was, and so when it came to your growing up, was movies or TV or media of any kind like always around? Was it something that you immediately were drawn to or was oh, it something yeah. you circled back to? No, 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 no. I was a weird kid who didn't play sports and loved wanted to do theater and Mm -hmm. loved putting on puppet show like exactly the kind of kid that that your parents worry a little bit about (laughs) um but and they did but instead of you know freaking out they let me do what i was gonna i think they knew that i was it wasn't gonna work with the sports or you know i know you did boy scouts right i did do boy scouts but it was against my will right i i I would it wouldn't even if I had been sent against my will, it would not have been successful. I would have really made a, a a mess of it. So yeah, they put me in plays and theater school, and 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 I loved, you know, as I I went to a camp when I was about five that um, gave me the opportunity at a theater camp to be around older kids who spent the night. I did not, mm-hmm. and. They showed uh, uh, silent horror movies at night uh, at this summer camp, oh. and I saw my first uh, silent uh, Lon Chaney movies there, and it uh, it it fucked me up, but good. Can I curse on the show? I think <laughs> yeah. I oh right fuck yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, it it did. The damage was done, and I don't want to say that was like my favorite stuff. I loved, you know, I love movies, and I was a latchkey kid, so I grew up on crappy TV and came home and watched, you know. <laughs> garbage like gomer pile or you know whatever whatever was on and sat and watched you know now i worry when my kids watch you know (laughs) two hours of tv a week but as a kid i'm sure i was watching it for you know eight hours a day Um, and i loved i loved scary stuff early on i loved it and 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 musicals musicals and scary movies they somehow have a weird connective tissue between them yeah <laughs> i don't know I, why that now i think that's revelatory to the kinds of things that you ended up creating because i think they're wonderful mash-em-ups i <laughs> i often f- felt when i because i sort of came at you sideways I, I don't even think i had been told that you had directed a movie until after i'd seen like music video type stuff and stage shows and um, comedy sketches. Sure. And then someone says, oh, no, no, he's a horror movie director. I'm like, there was another thing. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> that Jeremy? That guy directs horror movies? I, but, I think horror movie people are often very lighthearted people because they're 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 exercising their stuff, right? They, yeah. I've met a lot of, you know, Herschel and Lewis or, 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 or um, yeah, William Castle or these like, great uh, ballyhoo filmmakers of of horror even like you know you look at alfred hitchcock it's so tongue-in-cheek the way he like made a character out of himself but i think that's that's common right it's not they're not usually guys who you know were like hanging out in goth clubs and capes (laughs) no i yes i I often sort of lament the idea and I think because there's a a certain time frame in which horror movies were put in the same category of like, oh, he likes heavy metal and horror movies (laughs) where there's just like, 
you know, a, a lot of patches on the denim vest sort of right. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's as much stereotyping as anything else because obviously I was really into horror movies and absolutely not into those other things. Um, but it's also that a lot of people who sort of wear it as a t shirt, like, I am horror movies. And you're kind of like, should you be? Right. Should anyone yeah, yeah, yeah. be? Yeah, it's like this. This is a a thing we enjoy, and it's a thing we can make, and it's a thing we can talk about, and it's a thing that is is really really fun. But also, do you really just want to be horror movies? That's so. Uh, it's like that, people who like to hunt how they wear camo all the time. You're, like, you're not <laughs> hunting right now, right? You know, I can see you at the grocery store, right? <laughs> you're not hiding. Well, that's the thing is if you hide out by the bananas long enough, you get a deal on mangoes. And that's the thing they don't tell you about it, Ralph's. But if you do it long enough, you you figure out the system. Yeah. Uh, so you're you're go you're growing up and you see these silent horror films and they make a, a massive impression on you. But at what point in the sort of theatrical version of you putting on a show? Because that is the thing that always left out to me about you was I'm putting on a show. <laughs> and, and you were a, a brand unto yourself when you walked in the room. Whereas I always showed up places and they're like, oh, still buying T-shirts at the Gap, eh? And <laughs> I... <laughs> So I was like, oh, I was amazed that you had a capacity for self. It never felt fake. It you know always why? felt That's genuinely so nice. you. So in Baltimore, because sure. of all the things that we discussed and, you know, maybe like my mom dated Barry Levinson in high school. I mean, there's definitely something there, right? Like, I a, love a you sense of... casually drop this shit, but okay, go on. <laughs> the, Baltimore is the only place that I've been in the U.S. so far, other than maybe New Orleans, uh -huh. where you would get beat up for not being weird enough, right? <laughs> and so I think being like here's who i am i grew up in the 80s right when people were you know punk rock like you yeah. had to if you did not have a lot of safety pins on your clothing you were a lamo and um i didn't want to be i was like well isn't that now everybody you guys all still look the same my friends like people i love dearly i was like but it's kind of the same thing right if you're preppy or you're punk rock you're a thing and so i picked because of my theater, because I was a you know theater guy, and it's like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna do a different thing. I picked when I was like 11. I'm gonna be uh, the guy who wears ties. Yes, and, and that was that was the. I think that was the beginning of the self branding, right? Where I, I'm the tie guy. I'm gonna wear shark skin suits. And when I was, I hadn't worn dungarees, and and I do make my kids call them dungarees because they could. <laughs> it upsets my mother in law. Um, I didn't wear them till high school. I was like, I bought a pair of jeans in 10th grade just because I, uh -huh. I had, I was a little bit giving myself over to like changing up the brand. I, you know, I didn't obviously see it as branding and, and it's nice what you say, but I never thought like, you know, I'm going to walk in a room and be like, here, I'm Jeremy Caston. And I just, <laughs> I think that I grew up in a place where you, you were encouraged not to be afraid to be weird yeah. and to be different and, and to show it off. And so I've, I, yeah, putting on a show is, is 
I'm sure some of it's genetic, but also some of it's just the place I'm from and, and, you know, conveniently that, that faded in well with the guy I am. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally believe that. Um, now you ended up uh, attending a, a theater forward high school or, or I did it was my second high school was it a was it like a fame sitch where it's like everyone here's trying to be a star it was definitely you know the, everyone there was very aware of fame it wasn't so long after fame so there was a lot of dancing in the hallways and <laughs> and and singing and I mean in retrospect it was incredible but I was yeah. kind of an angry young man, I suppose. <laughs> sure. I had gone to a different high school. I did not get into the Baltimore School for the Arts for ninth grade. It was my dream to get in there for ninth grade. But I had had all this really musical theatery training and done all these shows that were, you know, like if you ended a song with your hands in the air in a regular show, the shows I was doing was like, you had to shove them as high in the air and as expressive, just over the top. Like, like, carnival cruise lines level Mm. of like musical theater and so i did not get in and i was devastated i went to a different high school that was lovely and set up you know with all the punk rock kids and that's when you know that sort of happened for me and then i got caught smoking pot in the woods halfway through (laughs) 10th grade and so gratefully and i to this day thank the school for the arts for they let me transfer in middle of the year after I had not gotten in on because you auditioned to get in. Mm. Um, and then I worked hard to not be musical. I, I think I'd had enough tragedy at that point. <laughs> it took the edge off of the Carnival Cruise Lines approach to theater. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I then and it was really it was a very intense, you know, we had all these, you know, I don't want to say like the if you can't do teach these are, were actual actors and directors yeah. and who did local theater but they were also very intense about teaching kids not like they were children you know mm-hmm. i remember chasing a girl we had this this company come from israel that was going to teach us uh special you know weirdo theater techniques and chasing a girl around a room whipping her with my belt and she was in a bra and i, I was like you know, and you know, theater class anyway has a lot of yeah. like massage. And yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, dirty. All, it's all just on the edge of a cult. Yes, exactly. Yeah, a lot of stuff where you're like, yeah, breathe in, breathe out. <laughs> Spend four hours doing warm up exercises where people walked around and looked like they, you like, you look like you just walked into an insane asylum. And I remember thinking, like, this can't be right to let kids with their forming brains i've been doing all this acid and here i am all tired coming here and this is wrong but it was great i just i only realized it later that i was it was it was very lucky because i already knew i wanted to make movies and it gave me um a lot of access to how actors work like i understood a lot more about actors i think going into film school then for better or worse, I think a lot of people do coming out of film school. So you train, you manage to, to get through this system to the point where you enter college. Did you, was film your, your major in college or did you go into an after, after post-graduation? It was my major. And for anyone listening, who's thinking about going to college for film school, I'll tell you definitely don't do that. 
<laughs> huge mistake. It's, I mean, if you love movies, you're yeah. going to see Citizen Kane anyway. There's no <laughs> reason to take a class. You don't need to, to, you know, watch the early documentaries. They're great. It's really interesting, but you don't, you don't need that class. Mm-hmm. I minored in history. I'm glad I did. Um, yeah. Wait, are we moving on past high school? No, we don't missed, have to do anything. I was well, just you wondering. missed the like the nugget from high okay. school. Well, I, well, I was sure you were leading. I, into I it. thought maybe you were going to do it on your own, but please tell the audience. <laughs> one I like one to day, someone passing around a picture said, "Did you see? Did you know that? Jer- did you ever see Jeremy in high school?" I, I can only imagine this. And they show me this picture. It's a picture of you, and you look exactly how I pictured you. But who you were with was not who I pictured you with. Yes. I went to, I was in that theater ensemble with the lunatic classroom with the chasing the girl with the belt and the like encouraged by teachers. So I don't uh-huh. want to be unclear. That was part of the class. I, I was in a theater ensemble for, for, you know, half my day for several years uh, with Tupac and, and Jada, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense because they're Baltimore kids. But right. Yeah, it, well, Tupac, also, I think it was, was in New York and then switched to Baltimore and then ended up in going back to Cali. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you're, do you feel like at that point you can, it's always interesting when someone grows up around someone famous, but they are not famous yet. Yes. Do you feel like, oh, I can see like a path, like I can see, like obviously they're, Two very attractive people. Sure. So absolutely. they got that going on for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, not all of us are blessed with. But also, they're not as attractive as they would become because they're still forming into real human beings. Definitely but, in the case of Jada, that's true. <laughs> so, but did you feel like there was, when they did hit that level, did you go, that I, I was right or I was wrong or I... Didn't see this coming. I with Tupac, I wouldn't have necessarily seen it coming. With Jada, if you had asked me in tenth grade where she was headed, I wouldn't have exactly nailed like Will Smith and Power <laughs> Couple of Hollywood. But sure. I would have said like she is definitely she's got something burning in her that she is going to fight for tooth and nail. And you know, not to say she's not talented or whatever, but she was intense. Even then, we didn't. She played my son. We did it. Uh, 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 I mean, these like theater ensembles. This isn't like sixty people in a room. It's like eleven, you know. Yeah. So we were together a lot, but we didn't get along um, particularly. But she did play my son in uh, A Wrinkle in Time. She played the youngest. I can't remember the name of that character, Timmy the, or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the one who's the math genius. Yes, exactly, yeah. with the glasses. Yeah, okay. And I was the dad trapped in the, yeah. The so, And we did other, like, local like uh, local educational videos for PBS or whatever together. Tupac and I actually were, for, like, weekend friends. Not super close, but, like, he slept at my house. Um, I sold him his first LSD and then <laughs> took it. He was, like, nervous to try it. So I was like, well, just come over and we'll take acid. So I am proud to say that I've tripped with Tupac Shakur. And the girl that he was in love with, who was also in love with him, was my first love. So we have oh. a, a, a person, a 
friend in common who was the first girl that I was like head over heels in love with that I was like, you know, 18 and going to marry. That was the girl that he had written a bunch of poetry and early raps for. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, Hell yeah. Well, it's high school. That's that's high school. It just happens that you all are in a place where you're getting interviewed and stuff like that. Or in his case, we, mm-hmm. all right. So let's not get too ramped up on that. Sure. Because so that, all that, that would be a very yes. depressing course for us. But yes, um, let's remember him how we want to remember him tripping out in your house. Yes. Uh, so you now move on now to college and you're in film school and you're, you're doing all the things that you could have done by just going to the local video store, but now you're formally doing it in college, but are you also like learning how to edit at this point? Or is that just a byproduct of going through film school? I had grown up making super eight movies. Did you do that? Did you have a super eight camera? No. Oh my God. I was not allowed access to such things. <laughs> it was a miracle. I had uh, access to books. It wow. just, well, listen, I was the firstborn uh, in a Mormon family, and they were just experimenting how to make sure that I was untouched by the world as long as possible. Right. And so, you know, that meant I, I did not have the freedom to roam. So I was not having uh, Tupac Shakur over to my house to trip on acid. Well, that, you showed them because look at you. You're making a big famous podcast about a... a <laughs> series of icky movies i've said i just they don't believe what i do is real that somehow i'm gaining just enough money by illegal means to front to the world that i'm a professional writer i just they don't quite ever get it and they're just waiting for the collapse so in a non-hateful way but in one that they've built up inside of them that they need to say is, I told you so. And they'll have that moment. But so far, uh, my modicum of success has not allowed them to break forth with that quite yet. You're getting you know? there. Yeah. Pff, listen, I'm out of the prediction business. Who can say what will happen in 2021? Sure. So, but... At this time, you know, it's, uh, I didn't have also <laughs> this sort of, uh, I don't have a bevy of college friends. And yet out of that sort of college experience, you, I, I assume that you gained a group of people that you knew both had been there or came in after you or concurrent to you that you end up using as a transition point to get to Hollywood. Yeah, so, uh, yes, I suppose I, I met uh, uh, people that I wanted to work with, and it wasn't really in class. I was making stuff uh, on the weekends. I started making movies, you know, on, on videotape mm-hmm. because there was sound on it, and the Super 8 movies I made growing up were silent. And so, to be clear, though I'm not from a Mormon family, I had to pay for my own film and processing. Making a movie was a big deal with your allowance because it was mm-hmm. 13 bucks a roll and 12 to process it. And that was two and a half minutes of film. So when I got my first video camera going to college, I was like, this is stuff is like, you could shoot a whole movie. And so right. I shot a whole movie sophomore yeah. year. I made my first feature and meant met a lot of people that I continued. And even now I'm friends with that to work with, but just on the weekends, like it was outside of school. 
And um, Emerson has a the Los Angeles program where they send you to LA and you work for free at some office, you know, making copies or laminating sure. or. But I went out there the summer before I was doing the LA program because I had friends who lived already in an apartment there, and I started working right away. Not because I'm a amazing, <laughs> useful <laughs> human, but because I didn't really want to laminate. So and I love sleazy movies, so I wanted to work on you know the video boom was still going on, so I got right. to work on these like you know witchcraft fours sixty thousand dollar movie, <laughs> and there I was like I'm an associate producer. I thought that meant a producer. I didn't understand like that's what they call the PA, yeah. who's making you know one hundred and ten dollars a week plus gas money or whatever, and and then. <laughs> went back to Boston after that summer and semester. So I was there nine months. I'd like gotten editing credits. It was like, you know, making movies and went back and had to live in and, and go to the video store and see movies coming out that I'd worked on. But I was like, oh, wait, no, I just came back there. <laughs> so when I returned after I graduated and friends also came out, we kind of, Scheme to make our first movie after I'd, I'd, I'd edited several more super sleazy low budget movies, and um, but there's and, something to be said for super sleazy movies as a entree to practical experience that, as highbrow and as well intentioned as a college education might be, sure the practicalities of of you know I love that you. Are bringing all this theory to bear, but it we need it by Friday. Yes, like, sometimes yeah. you need the we need it by Friday experience. Yes, so <laughs> absolutely. And you know, like those kind of movies, they don't get to do fifty takes; they mm -hmm. get to do two. And you learn a lot as an editor that way. And you, or you know, or see, you know, sometimes having five takes is useful <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Um, so what, what do you think was the most valuable experience on that very base level of, of working out here that you took forward where you're like, okay, if there's the thing that I, if I'm ever going to get the chance to actually do this myself, I'm either going to do a or never do B. Oh, well, I will definitely say that I learned very quickly speaking of like number of takes as an editor, as a young editor, working with, you know, both young filmmakers who'd made their first, you know, I worked on a movie called um, uh, Legion of the Night that was about cybernetic zombie assassins. The kid of course was like it was. 23 and he'd made a movie for $30,000 in, in Michigan with Ron Ashton from uh, Iggy and the Stooges. And sure. It's like he'd. Pulled all the talent. It was, and I got to work on a bunch of those kind of movies. Yeah. And I saw efficiency at work. But I also got to work on a lot of movies. A lot of times in that world, there's guys who like, I'm not saying this movie, but I'm just pulling a random one. But like, if you directed, you know, Weekend at Bernie's. Actually, that is one that I got to work on. It's a guy who did that movie and then went on to maybe less stellar stuff. And he still was shooting like, you know, 20 takes of the same thing. I promised myself as an editor sitting there, you know, watching somebody just shoot the same thing, like as though they were Kubrick. Like, oh, there's no reason to do that. <laughs> if it's good, <laughs> move on because he never would have enough coverage or enough movie. 
And you were like, yeah, no, it's probably better just to say, take two was good. <laughs> we can stop. <laughs> and I learned a lot from that. And I did promise myself I would never be a filmmaker. And, and actually, on my first movie and on most of my movies, I don't shoot, you know, you're supposed to like shoot the master wide shot. And then you get the medium shot. And then you get the close-ups. I really try not to shoot a wide shot that, like if you have a scene that's five pages, that's five minutes of a wide shot. But really, you don't cut back to that wide shot. You just go for the beginning and the end of the scene. Right. So I just shoot the beginning and the end of the scene in the wide shot and skip all the middle and just shoot that in close-ups. Sure. Um, so Not brilliant, you, but like <laughs> figured that out early on. You know? But that's a practicality. Like that, yes. that is on the job training. And sure. it, that's one of those things where if you're wrapped up in a sort of educational concept of how a movie is created and then you go on a set and see how a movie is created, those are ultimately two different things. Absolutely. It, it's the difference between learning like you could be you could hand someone a pamphlet and go, all right, you're going to learn how to ride a bike. You get on this metal contraption. It's got two rubber wheels. You blah, 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 blah. And you're like, okay, well, that seems easy enough. When you get on a bike, like, that's a whole different schmear. Yes, there's, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a yeah. lot of real-life physics involved in riding a bike rather than learning to ride a bike. Yes, or reading a book about learning to ride a bike. Exactly, or studying how someone else learned how to ride a bike. Right. Yes. Um, Movies have lots of that. And there, yeah. there, there's there, there's a lot of people who've read a lot of books who who are very prepared in their mind. But the actual, you know, like, here's one. Movies are mostly not, I don't want to say blue collar, but like the people who are going to get your movie made, they're grips, they're the electricians, they're the sound guy. Like, it's not really, you're not sitting around talking about what you thought that your intentions were behind what the scene really is about. You have those conversations with the actors, but mm. most of your time is spent being like, uh, hey, can we get a stinger over here and run power? Oh, yeah. yeah. Can't wait till a break so we can eat donuts. Like That's actually <laughs> what you you want to be that guy because the more comfortable you are with those guys, the, the easier a, a time you're going to have getting your movie made. Yeah, it's a movable feast, and the if you don't, if you cease to move, like you will get eaten. It yes. just that is how these things operate. What a so very complicated, like double analogy that was. That's amazing. <laughs> That's that is why you're a writer, man. That's a, it's a movable feast, and if you stop moving, you're gonna get eaten. I don't think I came up with that. I think that Jesus. is somewhat famous. <laughs> I had never heard it before. I'm gonna. I'm having that tattooed on my arm. <laughs> um, so you, let's talk about the first movie then. So you're hustling to, did something happen before Attic Expeditions? I know you were editing a whole bunch, but was Attic Expeditions your literal first pro movie? Yes. I'm going to do this. I was editing crappy movies and and working for companies that would buy Movies like, you know, the the one with the cybernetic zombie assassins. And they buy it on a trailer. And mm -hmm. then they, you know, ship a guy from Michigan to an editing bay with me and be like, hey, can this guy crash on your couch? And, you know, here's another hundred bucks a week to feed him and drive him around. Um, <laughs> and so I did that for, you know, a couple of years. But it was, 
honestly, it was hard because I already felt like I had the script for Attic Expeditions. It was written to be Witchcraft 4, which I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. which was my first foray into associate producing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't give it to them because my, my writing partner at the time wrote it in a week to be that script. They didn't have a script yet and they were shooting in like, you know, three weeks. How unlike a witchcraft movie. You're I know. blowing my I know. mind. It, it, uh, but you know, it had sex and it had one location and, mm-hmm. you know, very few in a small cast. And so he kind of threw this thing together. And when he sent it to me, I was like, I'm not going to give, I want to make this movie. So it had it for all those years. I actually tried to make it, um, at Emerson for my, for my practicum to, for my, whatever they call it, uh, BFA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was turned down. They said, we, we do not want you to make, uh, a horror film to, <laughs> to graduate from the program, but you're so talented. Why don't you make a movie about a a little boy who loses his violin? That's the kind of film you should be making. I was like, um, I'll take the other degree. That's okay. I got a BS in film, which is you know amazing that it's called a BS. I can't even believe. So yeah, I edited a bunch, and it was driving me nuts to work on all these other movies. And so one day I came home. To my to my roommate who was a, a production assistant at the time, and I said, "You ready to be a producer? Let's figure out how to raise money." And I can't take it anymore. Let's go make a movie. Now, that, is this were you living in made. this? Were you living in this house that you made it, or was this a oh, different God, house? No, we did live there while we shot the movie, but no, we were living in an apartment in Fairfax. Okay, uh, with like five guys crammed into you know. <laughs> <laughs> every nook and cranny and you could just said an apartment in Fairfax yeah, and I you understood that other information but it's important for other people who are live in other parts of the world to know yeah that is at one point what Fairfax was I think it's more highfalutin now as every yeah, part it was of certainly not is. that then yeah <laughs> so <laughs> so uh because that house is well let's all right let's go back to uh a couple of things about that movie that I just adore when it comes to that cast in particular, you, you start off with Jeffrey Combs who returned to several of your films over the years. What is, what is it like to establish that kind of relationship? Are you just, how do you approach that? Because I assume you're like, that's Jeffrey fucking Combs. Oh, absolutely. But you can't, you can't necessarily sure. do that with him in the room, but also it's kind of hard to deny. I was 25. I had grown up on genre films. I'd grown up, you know, Reanimator came out when I was in high school. So I'd seen it thousands of times. <laughs> and, you know, everything else he'd done with Stuart Gordon. And I just thought, you know, he's the modern day Vincent Price, which I still think really. And, uh, like, yeah, I mean, that's dream casting. And, and he was the first person we cast, actually. As we were raising money, we we hired a casting director. I told him I wanted Jeffrey for the movie. We made an offer and Jeffrey said yes, and we had to put money in a bank before <laughs> we had any more money. Like, that was all the money we'd raised. Was like, There's money in a bank for you. We're still raising money. And I got to go out to lunch with him, which I did a bunch after that. But that first time, of course, I was like nervous and geeking out and um, and we hit it off. And uh, he's really the reason, you know, Seth Green and Wendy Roby and Ted Raimi and yeah. Alice Cooper. The, it's really they all wanted to work with Jeffrey Combs. Uh, the the um, the Frighteners had come out not too long before that. Oh, yeah. 
And that performance, I feel like, is just, it's really, to be the best thing in a Peter Jackson movie <laughs> is is really something, right? And I feel it's like so, that, It's so committed. Yeah. It is so <laughs> just... It is such a real thing to that character on screen yeah. that no matter how huge it is, you kind of believe it because he believes it so much. Yes. And that's power. That is hard. You cannot manufacture something like that. It's just that's what movie magic is. It's just it, it lives there and breathes. Whereas any given performance by any given performer can just exist. And isn't that the difference between like a really great genre actor and somebody who's who gets forgotten is that with every role, with every film, they're bringing something new. They're taking it totally seriously. It might be ludicrous. It might be. Uh, you know, the script and the film might mm-hmm. be completely over the top and tongue in cheek, and yet that actor knows it and is still going to find a way to make it as real and as grounded and fun to watch as as you can imagine. That's that's real charisma, I think. And I think he brings that to X X X Doctor Eck. Yes, Doctor Eck, because. <laughs> People in his possessive voice, it's X, um, which I'm like, yes, that's, that's, that's got to be a reason for that. Yeah. But I feel like with a lot of your films, there's always this combination of elements. It's not just one thing. It's not just, oh, he's a Herschel Gordon Lewis fan and everything here is a play on Herschel Gordon Lewis. That is true for, you know, a movie, but it's not true for all of the movies they play in this you know, uh, sort of cabinet of influences and you're picking and choosing off the shelf. So where was the direction you wanted to go with Attic, Ex- Attic Expeditions? And how do you, do you feel like you hit that? Did you paint the right target? Did you get close to what you wanted it to be? And no one hits perfect. So we don't sure. have to worry about that. Yeah, especially your first movie, right? I mean, yeah. We shot on 35. We we had a SAG cast. Those were great decisions. I'm really happy about them. We tricked all our friends into coming to California yeah. and crashing on a couch. And, they, you know, I think about 10 people came from Boston who were just, you know, working in coffee shops after film school. And we were like, come on out. We're going to make a movie and we'll feed you. And we'd raise $20,000. You're putting $1. on a show. You're yeah, putting exactly. on a show, Jeremy. That's right. Totally. Tom Sawyering everything all my yeah. life. That is it. <laughs> I don't know that I'm talented, but I'm the Tom Sawyering is where my skill set lies. So the things that we did well were the things that we could manage, right? We could manage to shoot on short ends. I got mm-hmm. my friends to take that collapsing, um, amazing gothic mansion that yeah. was falling apart and paint it and all those crazy you know, giallo colors that I picked and that stuff I'm so proud of. And the performances, the fact that, you know, it really is a movie where, where I think even the people who'd never been in a movie before, our friend Shannon, I think is great in that movie. Yeah, Um, she is. You know, the, it's the 20 year anniversary this year and it's coming out. Severin is putting out a a 20 year uh, anniversary Blu-ray. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so excited because it's never been out in high def and, we're doing um, value added pieces and and um, 
and I just did a, 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 a reunion with Alice Cooper and Jeffrey. And, and I am not like in any way saying um, I'm, I'm some brilliant, but the thing that they talked about that was so sweet is the, the unbridled enthusiasm that I think I still have. And that is totally genuine. I think you can feel it in that movie. It just feels like we are making a movie. I grew up on genre and I just, I always wanted to stumble into some weirdo movie that you'd get high and watch when you're 17 and be like, what the fuck is this? This is weird. It's it smart and that's weird. The, and I'm that's so the thing high. I love about it is yeah. how weird it is. It is deliciously weird in that there's no theremin music, but there's theremin implied. <laughs> throughout it. there's a musical saw the score has a musical yeah. saw so it is yeah. like a theremin so it, but it has that vibe of this is weird science yeah. and <laughs> that you know people are melding you know mysticism and science together this crazy psychology and you know wendy roby is just i mean she's part and parcel a part of it because you just I don't think anyone else could sell what she's trying to do there. I agree. It's just, yeah. And she's great. There is a vibe to it that I think is unique to a lot of your films. And I think certainly the most successful of them of a, a fifties, early sixties throwback of, yeah. of gone awry. Like this is, <laughs> this is, it's fallen down a, a spiral staircase and woken up dizzy. And then the movie begins. <laughs> I think that that's what works about the movie. I think that, that, you know, there are things I love and things that I cringe when I watch, but it definitely feels like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like you don't really know at any point, like sometimes it feels like it's, it's really under control. And sometimes it feels like it's just, are they making this up as they went along? I don't really know if they know what's going to happen in this movie. And then when we wanted that, I love that. Yeah. And, and we talked about it a lot while we were making it. And when I see it now, I think, uh, I, I wish I felt, I felt a little, I was surprised when it came out, how angry people were about that. And I understand now I've worked so hard over the career of the several films I've been lucky enough to make to manage making mind fuck movies that are also satisfying. Mm-hmm. I was shocked that people that everybody didn't think it was fun to watch something <laughs> that felt like the filmmaker was slowly losing their mind while they were making the movie. <laughs> um, so how do you then, like, what is the process to get from Attic Expeditions to, you kind of have like a, a one, two, three punch. You, you go that and there's a little bit of a, a gap, but then you're like, bam, 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 bam. You got All Souls Day, The Thirst, wizard of gore like you're lining them up and knocking them down yes. was there something did just attic expeditions people going oh no like he can that's a shot oh that's a scene oh like he can make a movie did that was that what oh sort if, of only, woke Patrick, everything if up? only it worked this way that would be a me you make that's what i thought was gonna happen is i was gonna make a movie and then people would be like you welcome to the club Mm-hmm. Here's a, what do you want to make next? I had, uh, we had gotten the rights, the remake rights to five of Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies. And I was wanted to just 
tear into the remakes. I thought that that was a good a good way to have something that had a built-in kind of name value because Attic had problems with that. Um, and we just struggled to raise money for years. And at the same time, I just kind of went back to my day job after Attic Expeditions and, um, and yeah, nobody called to say, do you want to make a movie? And so, yeah, it took years to, to lock in The Wizard of Gore. And while that was happening, I had edited a, a, a movie called The Specials Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that the producer reached out, you know, years later, maybe five or six years later and said, Hey, I got this script for a project called all souls day. Are you interested? I read it. It was not very good, but I would definitely never say no. And I said, yeah, of course I, this is great. I love it. And, uh, and like three months later he called and said, uh, we start shooting in, you know, three and a half weeks. Uh, we have to have it rewritten by the end of the week. Can you leave your day job? And I said, I'll, I'll be there in 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a helicopter. Excellent. Yeah. Never. Uh, welcome to Los Angeles. How bad was the, the kids screaming in the background? Is it, is it? It's no, it's not terrible. Okay, no, okay. we're all fine. Listen, thank God for this new microphone. <laughs> <laughs> It, Gina, who sadly cannot be here today because she's wrapped up in festival review stuff, but uh, like she lives in New York City, like you hear the city where she is. Sure, this yeah. is just let's part you can't get and away from it. Um, so from All Souls Day, you move on to the thirst, and I think a thirst is is a real interesting example of someone trying to nudge their way into a genre that has been done to death and trying to find some level, like some way to take a basic thing that has been scary and non-scary. It's been comedic. That's been a Western. That's been this, that's been that. And trying to find some personal way to express how vampirism can mean something to somebody. And and in there you have a really, really well-drawn performance by Claire Kramer. That's who- so nice. I think so too. I had a, I love the thirst. I, I, I think it's, it's got things that really work and things that don't work. It was the same guys that I did all souls day for. And, and it, Claire, I think is amazing in it. I agree. It, there was a draft of that script and, and I've never gotten to talk about this anywhere, but I, so I just want to say this. Sure. That I really wanted to make that, the guys just wouldn't go for where the whole, you know, the idea is not new. The like near dark thing of Mm -hmm. it's, it's a cult like family that's drawing people in. And I really wanted to play on the Manson thing. And this idea that you're, you know, there's all that sexy stuff with vampires and I wanted to kind of play with that. But I love the idea that you find out at the end of the movie they aren't vampires. They're just lunatics who are drinking blood and somebody <laughs> dies in a really normal way, like gets hit by a car or something. And you're like, wait, the leader just, I don't understand. And then like very quickly you reveal, no, 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 you didn't, you don't have eternal life. You just <laughs> fell in with a bunch of drug addicts. They were crazy. <laughs> that movie, I still have burning in me. That's such a cool idea that, like, because it's gross. <laughs> Draining blood is just, that's a disgusting yeah. idea. Um, and it's always made into a, like a sexy thing. So I love the idea of like turning it, you know, 
like the Manson family. Like, mm-hmm. oh, free love. And look at all the girls we have. But really, they were probably really smelly and they lived in the desert and <laughs> probably all had like crabs. That doesn't seem like, it seems like it would seem cool until you got to the spawn ranch. And then you were like, oh my God, you guys, you never bathe. That's gross. <laughs> Um, speaking of really gross, this is our opportunity <laughs> then to Great really segue. That's awesome. <laughs> Again, that's why you're the writer. Oh, uh, let's get into Herschel Gordon Lewis. Cause he, that, this is the thing that I respect the idea of Herschel Gordon Lewis. I admire the tenacity and desire to simply put a vision on a screen and how he pushed a medium forward. What I have trouble doing is getting through a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. I I don't disagree now that I'm an adult. When I was 11, it was easy. (laughs) I (laughs) think honestly, and because it wasn't my, that much my, on video either, you know? Yeah, it wasn't on video. And because they were so and, and weirdly gory, although you look at it now, you're like, how much hamburger did you pick up from right. the pick and save to yeah. put this on? But they couldn't show it on Elvira, Mistress of the Dark because of that. Like it sure. had this reputation of, oh, my God, these things are so depraved. They can't be seen in normal ways. Yes. So... When it, I, I again appreciate all these things, but I also find it difficult to actually put the my my love of all those things I do love about it into practically loving Herschel Gordon Lewis movies. Well, so, what is your love of Herschel Gordon Lewis movies? Well, so I, you know, back to the Baltimore thing. I grew up on thinking John Waters, and I still think he's, you know, an amazing, like he's a visionary. Yes, absolutely. He loves Herschel Gordon Lewis, and so my, I got into it because John Waters said to get into it, basically. And so even when I didn't really get it, (laughs) I (laughs) pretended to, and I was like, oh, these are really interesting. These are so cool. They're so sleazy, but I have to say. The thing about those films that is brilliant is that he was the first to that party. I mean, that is right. an incredible thing to be. Nobody had really thought to have that, like the Grand Guignol approach to to movies. They, horror up to that point was, you know, um, Val Luton films and The Black Cat and, you know, Shadows. And, you know, there'd be some, some other stuff, but there wasn't really, nobody had ever thought to have... Yeah, to get butcher shop rejects and yeah. lay them on a lady in a bathtub and pour red paint on her in, <laughs> in a bra and panties, you know, in the late mid-60s, early 60s. That was really, you know, puerile and <laughs> amazing because he sold it that way and he pushed yeah. that. And um, and the other thing that I really love that even now about those films is they don't take place, they're not on a set. You're not in... You're not in 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 on a soundstage. It, it doesn't feel safe in that way. You're in a, mm. somebody's dumpy suburban home in South Florida, and it looks and feels that way. It feels like the suburbs, and yeah. it's depressing. <laughs> Even when they're nice homes, it's like, oh God, people live like this, and and it gives it a, um, an immediacy that I think 
were, you know, I don't think it was intentional on his part, but it, it works really well in those movies because they don't, they feel like they're from another planet. Yeah. Well, they, there's a verisimilitude. Yes. You know, him, Al Abinson, there's that, that sort of found art object. Yes element to them <laughs> that makes them so unique and interesting because there's no part of it that is processed. Right. It's just and what it is. The actors all tried. And yeah. even when they're terrible, they're trying really hard. <laughs> I mean, they are all terrible. Everybody in almost all of his movies, except for maybe 2000 Maniacs is, is pretty, pretty um, stagey. They're just yeah. not good actors, but they're nobody is being silly. They're all trying to be good actors. So even though it's easy to mock, you, you end up with a different kind of film when everybody is taking it seriously. So that that works in his favor, like the like the verisimilitude of, of being in, you know, a lime green living room <laughs> with shag carpet <laughs> in South Florida with it's a pendant just, lamp. And, it's a pastel you know, nightmare, Jeremy. Totally. Just, yeah. So crazy. Exactly. So of the things that was uh, was Wizard of Gore like, this is the thing I think I should make. Or well, was that yes. just the, uh, that was what you wanted to aim for? Because it's on a stage and I yeah. always feel like I have a lot of comfort with, I think that's cool. I like horror movies that have a stagey element. I love that. And it's, um, you know, his other movies are pretty straightforward it's really the only one that's that weird and because it's weird and and the narrative is broken i mean that movie feels like they made it up as they went along yes it's very episodic totally yeah but it doesn't really and it's got scenes that feel like they were added later just to stretch it out and then the stage there's so many cool ideas but it never coalesces i think like my Wizard of Gore, there's so many cool ideas and it doesn't quite make it, but it's close. Um, but it felt right for the picking because, you know, no offense to the, you know, filmmaker Tim who who remade 2000 Maniacs, but that movie, it's Brigadoon as a horror movie, right? Yeah. It's not really, there's, there's, and that's the idea for the remake. There's no new, there's no place you're going to go that feels, uh, you know, like you're covering new ground. With the Wizard of Gore, there was is the you know pretty wide open, so you could kind of take the idea and have a quasi faithful remake, but totally redo it, and nobody's going to get mad. Nobody's going to yeah, say because well, you, you made a movie that. out of it. <laughs> right, exactly. That's my favorite movie. How? Why would you remake Psycho? Like, I get it. Yeah, but who yeah. would? But the Wizard of Gore, you're not going to tread on any. Nobody's going to get that bummed. <laughs> Um, so let's then, uh, because I could, I could talk about Wizard of Gore all day, but I do want to get to the dead ones because this is, that's a movie that has taken, it's had a journey. Like, oh yeah, this is, it's not to say there, some movies sit on a shelf for a lot of reasons. Um, but you know, you all dedicate yourself to doing something. And you can line up every duck and get them all in a row and still have fate come by and smack you in the face. So how does The Dead Ones go to a movie that you have the financing to make, the financing to cast, and the financing to edit, but not the financing to release? 
Well, that's a good question. I originally conceived of the dead ones with uh, Zach Chasler, the writer, and uh, the executive producer, Niels Harbo, as a reaction to The Wizard of Gore because, uh, as we discussed um, the last time I was on, I had a lot of problems with uh, the financiers kind of gumming up the works right. and and wanting to step in and you know tell Crispin Glover what to wear and I was like nah, it's fun to make movies with a budget but I'd rather go back and make something with no name cast and just make a super efficient little horror movie where I can s- I, I made all these movies where like with the thirst or you know less with Attic but certainly with the thirst and and, and wizard I had something to say you mm-hmm. know, but I felt like it got lost a little bit. By the time Wizard came out, I felt like I was trying to make a movie about misogyny, but it's still got tits and blood and the Suicide <laughs> Girls. And <clears throat> I'm not sure that anybody who's watched it thinks like, boy, this filmmaker really has something to say about misogyny in horror movies. So all of those things brought the dead ones to the fore. We, we conceived of a horror movie about something that was really important to us and wanted to keep it small efficient i didn't want to shoot in la Uh, i made all my other movies in la and had great experiences but i wanted to shoot you know like the gordon lewis thing i wanted to shoot in a real high school that you hadn't seen in a million tv shows and high school movies Mm -hmm. i wanted to shoot with real high schoolers who weren't um you know on on the disney channel next week and doing a yogurt commercial the week before and just less not jaded but just less like me when I was rejected from the school of the arts. I wanted people who were like really, you know, coming to it from a pure place. So we put the finance together. It was like, you know, a a very uh, modest and streamlined budget. Went to Baltimore to shoot it, uh, cast it with uh, uh, somewhat ironically, Pat Moran, who was John Waters producer and uh, has gone on to a, you know, stellar career as a casting director did the wire won the emmy several times for that so she's like great at finding you know this like undiscovered talents that's her Mm -hmm. thing um and and uh and we went way over budget we took money from the state of maryland and didn't really for so many reasons we we it was more union than los angeles which is a whole nother discussion but just very complicated not a lot of crew to pick from these were all the people who had made the wire so they were used to short tv hours um and uh our line producer who was like the hookup for the commercial world who had all his special deals got Lyme disease two oh, and a half God. weeks before we started shooting and was in the hospital just like at death's door. So the deals that were like about to happen never came to fruition. And and that's my understanding of why it went super over budget in Baltimore. I'm sure there are a million other reasons. We shot for 16 days, which is not a long enough schedule. And it just, it got unwieldy fast, but it was, you know, what we got was great. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a school shooter ghost story. So it was already tough. It was tough to, you know, secure the high school location The, the you'd go and, you know, I was looking at schools with the head of the Maryland film commission. And here I was a Baltimore boy making good coming home to make a movie and mm-hmm. they'd show you the location and then you'd tell them what the movie was going to be and they wouldn't want to shoot there for, and I understand why, yeah. but 
you know, none of those people had any problem when we told them we were making a horror movie where high schoolers were going to be hunted by a masked killer. But once it had a context, then <laughs> if it was about something real, then that was too much. And and again, I get it, but it made it once we ran out of that uh, initial investment, it just became impossible to um, to get it back on its feet. It had a lot of a uh, lot of digital stuff that I was cavalier about as an editor. I was like, oh, well, if we, if we can't find this set, let's just build it. We'll shoot it on green screen and I'll fix it in LA. And of course, you know, that's idiotic thing to do. Don't watch those uh, Robert Rodriguez DVD extras and be like, I can do that because you can't. Um, so yeah, it, it, it took a really long time. Every time we'd line up financing or, you know, a big digital effects company, Sandy Hook would happen or, you know, I mean, it just, the, the phenomenon of school shootings already obviously existed in 2009, but uh, it got so much worse in those ensuing years that, you know, people got cold feet a lot and it just yeah. shut it down. And, and, you know, you move an inch a week, you know, you'd, you'd have a guy do 12 green screen shots in, in, uh, you know, six months and and be like Whew, good we're really moving now <laughs> so at any point to just because the film to, to a certain i don't want to give away everything about it because i i do feel that the sort of glib component of it would be to simply put it in the school shooting realm when ultimately it's not really about glorifying that or making a huge realistic version of it Yes, it's more about um, the cycle, the, sort of the ramifications of that. Uh, I'm trying to do this in a way that doesn't give away the actual puppet. Did you ever feel like you were trapped in that school well after the fact, like those kids are trapped in that school? Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I never thought about it in that way, but yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. 11 years, man. I mean, I met my wife. I have three kids. I am a, uh, have a completely different existence than I'm a different human being. And yeah. the world is different than when we made that movie. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. It has not, I mean, you know, there are no cell phones in it. Thank goodness. There's yeah. a lot of things that could have gone sideways with dating it. And I think we got lucky. I'm glad we shot on the red. Well, let me say something about where you were headed sure. and just say that with each step of, of making that movie, because I'd made a bunch, I mean, not a ton of movies, but enough movies to have had, you know, my share of angry reviews on the internet and, and frustration with, with, um, you know, telling stories that, that didn't get the story that I wanted to tell across. We were, we put a lot of work into that. We, we rewrote the movie a ton. We did staged, re, you know, table reads, we, we edited it for year, for several years. I mean, we didn't have any money, so we just kept re-editing it until we were happy. But for each part of making that movie, we had to really carefully examine the, um, the story we were telling because the last thing I want to do, I want to make a movie uh, for horror fans like me who could watch it and not be on the side of the school shooter. So it's a yeah. horror movie that tells that story, but I, I hope at no point during it are you rooting for violence. I hope that what's horror... Look, school shootings 
are horrifying. People always say to me, you know, in the last year or so as I've been doing a little bit of festivals, I mean, not so much because of COVID, Mm -hmm. but why wouldn't you make this as like, I mean, a drama or it seems like there's a story here that doesn't need to be a horror movie, but I don't, one, think that's the audience that I really wanted to speak to. And two, I don't think school shooters, they are horrific. That is, that's, it's appropriate. And it's a surreal, I mean, it's a nightmare scape version of a school shooter. And I don't want to give away too much either, but like my other movies, it's kind of, you know, surreal and, you know, mind fuckish. There's a twi- there's a Twilight Zone-ish thing yeah. going yeah, on yeah, yeah, to yeah. it. That, I hope so. That uh, I, I think... Puts it in a, a different realm beyond. I don't. I don't feel like uh, exploitative is the the direction which the film is trying to go in terms of its subject matter. The, I think the, the Twilight Zone is such a great example because that that's such a it's so much fun. It's so smart, but it has like a pretty rigid morality, and and I think that this movie does too. I hope and and you know you never want to be the guy who made the horror movie. You know I don't want to make. I love Clockwork Orange, but that must suck to have somebody copycat, dress up as your icky character for Halloween and not get what you were trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally get that. So so out of this sort of experience and and then you're you're you do theater bizarre the, there's still stuff that you're doing constantly you get caught up in a, in a tv show that gets shut down by the vatican at one point <laughs> that's right i did i did the exorcist <laughs> files which was probably i have to say the most fun i've ever had on set because i always had this dream of being like one of those directors on the uh, on the lot in the 30s where mm. like you go and like you know you're <laughs> Ah, all right, you're assigned to stage four. You're doing a boxing picture. And then the next day you punch your punch card and they're like, okay, you're doing a romance on stage nine. And you're just like <laughs> hopping around and Exorcist Files truly every day. It was like a different story, a different, you know, different actors. Okay, here we are. And some of them, a lot of them weren't, you know, they were like models or whatever, like the people they cast. I mm-hmm. didn't have any hand in it. So I just show up on the day at a location I didn't pick. And a story didn't write and okay, figure out how are you going to make this girl levitate in a church? And it was so much fun because it had that kind of giddiness that, that I love, but you know, a full crew and a good budget and mm-hmm. it's great. But yeah, it never aired. yeah it, I think it aired once or twice. It, you know, it was a series. I think it shot 10 episodes. So each episode had two stories. So those are 20, 20 stories I got to tell that the world will never see. <laughs> They bragged, you know what happened? They bragged, the network bragged in like Us Weekly that they had the cooperation of the Vatican. And, you know, don't do that. That's okay. (laughs) You don't don't have the cooperation of the Vatican. Well, that's what I'm putting on the the label of this episode is that it's sponsored (laughs) by the Vatican. And what are they going to do about it? Right. Yeah. They they got no power. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So then at a party... You come in with your lovely wife and you say, yeah, we've been thinking about, um, you know, homesteading and and just, you know, learning how to live off the land. And we're just we're moving to Maine. And this is another one of those incidents where I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) How are you just moving to Maine and learning how to make (laughs) 
<laughs> make your own soap. <laughs> You're going to run baths by heating up gallons of water and dumping it into a clawfoot tub. It's true. Like, I, 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 so do you, what, what was the impulse that said, this is something I need to learn? Because that doesn't feel like, well, everyone in Baltimore wants to do this. Yeah, no, I did not grow up. My parents have, they still are completely confused by it. My wife's parents, you know, we told our families at Thanksgiving, at Thanksgiving dinner. So, you know, in LA and we had two kids, like we had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. We still have those kids, by the way, yeah. but they're older. Um, no, I've seen visual, I've seen proof of life. Proof. Like they're, they're still, still out there. They've survived this transition. Yeah, they're we, cute. Yeah, the shocks. We, um, we just said like, we're going to move and we moved right after Christmas to Maine in the wintertime, which I would, if anyone is thinking about moving from Southern California to Maine, I'm going to say tr- the fall is a good time or the spring. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not right after Christmas. That's a little intense. Yeah. The ramp um, up into it. Yeah, yeah. So much better that way. You don't need to be learning how to split firewood the week you get here. Um, yeah. I, you know what? It sounds so uh, cliche, but I saw Food Inc., the documentary, mm-hmm. and I already was like, I knew, I knew how miserable of lives chickens have. And but I just, I love meat. I love meat. I love cheese. I love eggs. I love. And I was like, oh, it really fucked me up. I just felt like, well, we can't do that, and it's expensive to eat organic food in, in if you lived in Pasadena, mm-hmm. um, and. I also, I mean, I was an editor for a long time. That means I was at a computer in a small dark room, you know, on six hour, six day weeks for 16 hour days a lot. And um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to go outside and do things and move my body so I didn't die. Uh, and we had kids and mm-hmm. I could see that they, you know, we had a little yard and I wanted them to have more of that. And I don't know, man. I mean, um, my wife and I met and we lived in downtown Los Angeles and we went out drinking all night and we'd come back at, you know, she worked in a restaurant and she didn't get off till one thirty in the morning. So, you know, she'd wait till like 5 a.m. and we were like, you know, had finished two bottles of whiskey and she'd be like, but don't you really want to just homestead? Isn't that really <laughs> what you want to do? Living in my loft in downtown. And I didn't even know what that meant. Um, but she was right. I did kind of actually really just want a homestead. <laughs> and we moved in. We moved. We found a, we started looking for schools on the West Coast to learn because I didn't grow up knowing how to do. I wasn't in boy. I did theater. Yeah. I knew how to put on a show. Like you said, mm-hmm. I've never done. I've never, you know, had a house. I've never done anything normal. By the way, we have hot water that works in our home. We I moved know. in with a guy who did, did not. Yes, and that was the the, the, that was the schooling movie. part was where you you were heating up your own tub of water, and he, I he, I'm still uh, somewhat uh, scarred by the thought of it. He lit a fire under a, <laughs> a, a cast iron tub and filled the tub with like snow, and then you know yeah, I mean that's a real that was really part of my life for like nine months. It was crazy. There's no hot water. We moved a one year old and a three year old. In with a virtual stranger who looked like Grizzly Adams, you know, with bib overalls and a big beard. Uh-huh. But he was super charismatic and, you know, <laughs> probably finished. <laughs> he was very well read and charming and he did his own line. And his this is how you wine. end up in a vampire cult, I know. Jeremy. I, know, I mean, we thought that. We really did. Uh, it was risky for sure. I mean, we could, we, 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 but it was, a, it was, 
it was a great way to start a brand new chapter mm-hmm. and it was the right time to do it. And, and I don't regret it at all. I got to make a bunch of movies. I'm so glad, but that was all changing too. And, and I started to make a living in reality TV and I didn't really have a love for, and I was surrounded by people who also loved reality TV. And that was confusing for me. Cause I like, yeah. had that like conversation with other editors by like the water cooler at 2 AM after like, you know, that, aforementioned 16 hour day and I just assumed everybody else was slumming too I'd be like well, what do you really you really want to make movies too right and they would be like no I, I i read i've read all the books written by you know i mean what's the name of the guy who made uh survivor robert rob yeah so, i mean people uh, well, I love that rob shit, tappert man. and that's not right <laughs> what, 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 yeah. the guy who produced xena and then married xena Right. Uh, That's right. And yeah, produce yeah, yeah. the evil dead. Way cooler. I would have oh, been much yeah, more much happy be, be Rob it, Tampered in this world, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Do it today. Check it out. Uh yeah. So and we did it. We took a crazy leap. I mean, it was scary, and it's still there are times where we feel, you know, like we're 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 <laughs> It's a little out of control mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to do things. But a lot of it, like like everything else, you get used to it. People always say like, you know, because we do, I, I raise chickens and I have to, I slaughter them myself and I love them and then we eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, my dad, everyone says, I could never do that. But you probably could if you were hungry. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, we're not starving, but you yeah. you end up getting used to all kinds of I lived in a dorm, man. People, you know, pooped in the sink when they got drunk. I, I got used to it. <laughs> Get used to sink pooping. Right. I, I think mean, that's is the... part of the college experience, right? Yeah. Every once in a while, you're like, oh my God, somebody crossed a line that I just didn't realize <laughs> could be crossed. You could, you could make a rule not to do that, or you could get used to it. Right. And the yeah. lesson learned here is get used to it. Yeah. Um, so Jeremy, uh, where can people, uh, get in contact with you, you know, online so they know, cause I didn't know about the attic expeditions, uh, coming out from Severn. That's fantastic. News. I'm so excited. Yeah. So, uh, I'm Jeremy scare me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, Jeremy scare me on Facebook and, uh, the dead ones on Facebook is, is, you know, the dead ones page. <laughs> Uh, there's the, the dead ones website is TD one S TD number one S like the dead ones, mm-hmm. or you can type in the dead ones. And it's going to get taken there too. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I have my own website, jeremycaston.com. And if you go there, it's got my farmy stuff. Uh, and if you go to the menu, uh, you know, I've got a whole other website of all the horror stuff, including, you know, an archive of all the, all of my trailers and my interviews and everything that's ever happened in the world of icky that I've made. Excellent. Um, I really look forward to all of this. And I look forward to one day you putting on a show in a barn. Finally, you know about that, right? See it. Yeah, it's coming. It's yeah. really, it's we're, 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 you know, if you've seen my barn, you know, it's a long way off, but it is coming. I, I, I have stick to itiveness and a Tom Sawyer thing that I'm gonna make it happen. We'll just keep pushing that uh, boulder up the mountain. I can't, I can't wait. wait. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so that just about does it for us in the special edition of Kill by Kill. Uh, please uh, check out Jeremy's stuff and and the films that are coming out in Blu-ray, which are great. 
Uh, and that does it uh, until next time, everybody, everybody, for myself and for Jeremy. The body count will continue. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.